Hey, Kingdom Roots listeners, uh, Chaz here. Before we jump in, uh, many of you are aware, but wanted to remind you, our podcast here, Kingdom Roots, is brought to you by Northern Seminary. And this week at Northern Seminary, we had an exciting announcement that we just made. So we wanted to let you know about that announcement as our listeners. So um, Scott, would you mind just letting our listeners know a little bit what's going on with Northern this week? Uh, Northern is going to is uh, has a beautiful plan of expanding the seminary to prepare leaders for the new generation of students and people in churches. So uh, what we're going to do is have three primary centers of education. We're going to have the the center at Lyle, and we will be moving from Lombard to a beautiful new facility at the corner of 88 and 355. It's called the Icon Building, but we will have a beautiful northern sign there. It will start this fall. We will have a south side campus that will focus on uh, urban ministry and urban development. Uh, That will be the primary, uh, that will be a location for that uh, degree. But also the MDiv students and the MA students will be meeting at the Lyle campus. So we will maintain our strength of diversity while also locating a particular degree for our African-American and Latin American pastors in the city uh, down on the south side. And we're going to expand the facilities at Lawndale. So we'll have three centers of education. And on top of that, we like to think of the fourth center as our Northern Live facility where students can stay where they are and be educated Um, in that location through live streaming and participation in class, uh, a kind of education that we are working on and we're all learning day by day how to do this better. So Northern is going, in a sense, uh, we are expanding, but we are relocating the Lombard campus to Lyle in a state-of-the-art facility and classrooms that will, six new classrooms that will be just fantastic for our students. Thanks, Scott. Uh, it certainly is a, a bold new vision, and we're excited about the days ahead at Northern. And would like to let you know, if you'd be interested in learning more about Northern and our educational experience here at our seminary, you can do so by going to the website at seminary.edu. Again, that's seminary.edu, and you can learn more details just about our different programs and these changes that we've just let you know about. Well, without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today, we have a conversation on embracing Holy Week. Scott, uh, it is, uh, man, can't hardly believe that it it is almost Easter here, which means that uh, next week, if you're listening to the the podcast now, it's uh, Thursday, the Thursday before Holy Week starts. Um, Holy Week is right around the corner. And um, I don't, I, I just, 
have a feeling, and if anybody's like me, I grew up at a church, we certainly celebrated Easter, and uh, man, that was probably the biggest part of the the year for our church, but um, we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the whole Holy Week leading up to it. So I'd be curious, um, you know, what do you have to say to those church-ignorant Protestants, I guess like myself, who need to know what Holy Week is all about? Yeah, well, Chaz, I think uh, that I grew up in that same kind of situation in church culture. Uh, that we celebrated two primary church holidays. We celebrated Christmas with gusto, and our church was decked out in red and green, which are actually not the church's colors for for Advent. Yeah, uh, we we never talked about Advent, and we celebrated. Uh, I guess you could say we had a little bit of Holy Week. If I'm not mistaken, I grew up in a church that had um, a Good Friday service and then an Easter service, but I'm I'm not absolutely certain that we had Good Friday. Mm-hmm. So um, here, here's the big picture, and and this is where I'm seeing an increasing number of evangelical or even low church type people who don't celebrate the church calendar, don't use lectionaries definitely don't wear vested uh, gowns for Sunday, don't have the Eucharist every week, don't even call it Eucharist. They call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. Um, I'm seeing an increasing number of young leaders and older leaders who want to expand their church's sensibilities and their church's worship and order of Christian life by, uh, by considering the church calendar and the church lectionary. So let me give um, a big picture of the church calendar uh, for for our listeners, and that Scott, is, yeah. I said sorry before you jump into there. I guess I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on what that driving force, because I have that same observation that uh, a lot more of those churches that you described who didn't have so much of a association or embrace of the church calendar are embracing it much more, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on why. Great, great question, Chaz. And I think that, I, I, you know, I don't think we have statistics and sociological studies that I know of, but here's, here's something that I would say. The low church, mega church, Willow Creek type service, uh, Bible church type service, is a direct reaction to lectionary liturgical orderings of services. So for a generation or more, we had an explosion of very creative uh, services by designed by creative leaders who figured out how to do something new and fresh every week. I think the young generation is tired of newness, and they would like to go to church to hear some oldness. Mm. And so I think we're seeing the 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 back reaction, the the return of the waters uh, in an underwater current that is saying, let's get back to where we were. We've done the newness. We've done the creativity. It's not as good as the old, and it's missing out on some of the critical elements of church worship. So um, I think that it is a largely a response and a reaction to the um, the sameness of constant creativity. In other words, people are getting tired of tr- people getting trying to be too creative. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, there so, are, uh, go ahead. I, yeah. I was just going to say there are some um, great studies. I think it's out of Fuller, um, and I, I can't recall the the gal's name right off the top of my head. But the um, the team that has been doing the research on sticky faith and one Kara of the Powell. yeah, that's Kara that's Powell, what I yeah. thought. Yeah, Kara Powell. Um, I heard her say once that. Um, in the in the church, as we look at how people engage, warm is the new cool, and uh, I thought that was so fascinating that that young people, um, I would say millennials and even lower into the the younger generation of junior high and high school students, cool is not as, as important to them as much as somebody who is, is warm. And I guess in, if you look at church service. Um, uh, relation to that, I guess you could, I mean, maybe draw some parallels to what your observation is as well. Yeah. Kara's really on top of this kind of research a lot more than I am. But, and so I appreciate uh, that. I did not, I don't remember hearing that expression, warm is the new cool. But uh, yeah, she's got good stuff on sticky faith. And I recently uh, talked about her new book. I think it's called Growing Young or, or mm-hmm. something yep. like that. Um, but let, let me give the good the big picture, yeah. and that is um, the church calendar. And, and I want to start with this statement, that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the God that we believe in gave to Israel a church calendar. And Israel celebrate every year their great events in history by memorializing them in festivals. So you have Passover, you have Purim. You have Rosh Hashanah, the new year. Uh, You have all these events. Uh, Hanukkah eventually gets to be a part of it as well, the celebration of the rededication of the temple roughly around the time of our Christmas. So uh, calendar life was central to biblical uh, biblical faith. And uh, we did not have sufficient time in the early church to develop that. But the, those people who were formed in a calendar in the Bible uh, are a part of our faith. And I would say that we learn that God's way of forming his people as a people is in part through calendrical observances and feasts that memorialize the great events of our faith. So the church does not begin, the church calendar does not begin on January 1. The church calendar begins with Advent, which is the four Sundays prior to Christmas. And then Advent gives way to Christmas, Christmas to a short season called Epiphany, where Christ is being manifested. And then they go through a 40-day, approximately 40 weekdays of Lent, leading to um, the Holy Week, which Uh, And Lent begins, you know, with Ash Wednesday, and then it leads to Holy Week, where you emphasize uh, all the way from um, the uh, burning of the ashes and the triumphal entry through the through Monday, Thursday for some churches, which celebrates the the last event with Christ in the Last Supper. Then they have Good Friday, where he was crucified. Holy Saturday uh, is celebrated, especially by the Eastern Orthodox and then Easter Sunday uh, unfolds into what is called uh, Eastertide, and then there is Pentecost. After Pentecost, we have what is called ordinary time, and that is 
basically all summer and all fall until Advent begins. And that's where another set of themes are, are emphasized. But let me let me say what this is. The gospel is the story of Jesus. To gospel someone is to tell them about Jesus and who he is and what he has accomplished. And the church calendar is completely shaped by introducing people annually to who Jesus is and what God has done through Jesus. So Advent is the arrival of Jesus. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I thought it was beyond weird that people acted like Jesus was going to come at Christmas. I thought, he's already come. What are we talking <laughs> about him coming again for? That's yeah. because my faith had very little of a sense of re-experiencing and memorializing and remembering the great events of the Christian faith. You know, we were looking back, and these people were, in a sense, reliving the experience. And that's why we, we sang with relish, O come, O come, Emmanuel, during Advent, mm -hmm. uh, not realizing that we were singing an Advent song, and we loved that song, you know. And so many of our great Christmas songs, uh, if you look at them as hy the hymns, now I'm not talking about, you know, jingle bells. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you look at the great hymns, they are Advent hymns more than they are Christmas hymns. All right. Mm -hmm. So Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Epiphany is a, a manifestation of Jesus in his primary teachings and life and events, his miracles, uh, his deeds and his sayings. And then Lent is largely a time of preparation for the, uh, the suffering of Christ, preparing ourselves to be ready for the significance of Holy Week in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And then we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. And then ordinary time is largely preoccupied with uh, big themes in the church, big themes in the Bible, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, it could be any kinds of major doctrines. And some churches pretty much uh, take liberty with the lectionary. They may focus just on one element of the text, or they may preach through the, of the book of Colossians for the summer and do something in the fall and then resume the calendar from Lent through um, uh, Easter or through Pentecost. So now in conjunction with the calendar is the lectionary. Mm -hmm. And the lectionary is an ordering of the reading of scriptures uh, over a three-year period. That's called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's free. It's available. I've got a link on my blog uh, where it says uh, links. Uh, and you go down to the to the uh, Revised Common Lectionary or just the lectionary, and you can see what the readings are for every Sunday. And what happens is over three years, certain themes are emphasized during each of those seasons by reading certain texts. And this is, to me, one of the greatest things about liturgical churches, and I'm seeing this happening more in Baptist churches, in low churches. They're starting to use the lectionary. And that is instead of the preacher deciding every week which text to choose, um, the church decides, and it decides on the basis of the gospel, because the gospel is about the life of Jesus. So the lectionary, the readings of the lectionary focus on the season 
The season is shaped by the gospel because it's all about the life of Jesus. If you are an attentive participant in a lectionary-based church, you will be gospelized every year. And it is genius and brilliance. Mm -hmm. But just being gospelized by texts and readings is not going to change your life. You have to be open to the Spirit. You have to be believe. You have to trust. You have to listen. So it's not it's not automatic. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's that's the big picture, Chaz. Sure. And it seems like uh, in so much of what you unpacked, it was it's about discipleship and formation in following this rhythm and structure. And while you're t- talking, something um, struck me. And uh, I wonder if this can relate to how um, the discipleship and formation plays out uh, through the spirit that you just mentioned, of course. Um, but I feel like a lot of times the, the reaction against or maybe the, the direction away way of a, from a lectionary and church calendar um, type of, of service and structure is um, because, because like you said, all of that's already happened. You know, Jesus already came and the resurrection already happened. Yes, we need to, to celebrate this and remember it, but the acting out of it, um, the, the kind of rehearsing, I guess you could say, is uh, a way of, um, of, of it not of it not being a one-time event that we look back on. And um, I guess when you were talking, the thing that came to mind was an illustration that I know N.T. Wright uses in some of his writings about how where we are as the church, there are these acts in God's story that's playing out. And we have creation, fall, Israel, um, exile, and, you know, now there was Jesus and the church, and we are kind of this act that we're playing out in the the continuous story of God. And and that's why we need to know the other acts so well. And as being somebody, you know, I've done plays before in high school and stuff. And, um, And if you were to only be the actor in the final act, it is just as important for you to be fully present and embodying the rest of the, the the play that's going on and to be rehearsing that. And I guess I wonder if following the church calendar and embracing it in this way um, is a way of, I guess you could say, rehearsing the, the, the rest of the story, the beginning part of the story, so that we can more fully and faithfully live out the current place that we're in now. Uh, yes, I, I think it, I think rehearsing is a fair word. I think the right word is remembering. Okay. Uh, the Greek word anamnesis uh, for remembrance is the primary word that is used in in, in liturgical ordering. And it, but it, it's it's uh, you, you said it right. I think a lot of people want to celebrate those events mm-hmm. for their present significance. But I don't think they quite understand what it means to remember right. through through rehearsing. And I would want to emphasize the idea of embodiment. And this is what I mean is. Uh, it is one thing to uh, celebrate um Palm Sunday. It is another thing to stand outside and to hold palm branches and to sing and listen to scripture as you walk into church mm-hmm. and, uh, in a sense, act out and remember by remembering with the body mm-hmm. 
embodying the actual actions so that over time we we educate ourselves and we are formed not just in our heart or in our head, but our whole body is educated into the significance of the events of the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Lent then is often about fasting, fasting as a way of remembering, mm-hmm. rehearsing, embodying uh, the significance uh, of the implication of being sinful people who need to grieve before God for what we've done and, in a sense, to anticipate our own deaths so that we can participate in the death of Christ in a more complete embodied way. So I know this sounds abstract, mm-hmm. but it's only abstract to people who've grown up in in, in the kind of churches that are quite, uh, this is a little bit crude, uh, they're quite Gnostic almost in their orientation. It's all mm. in the head yeah. rather than in the body. And mm. the lectionary and the liturgy and the church calendar are about full body formation into the major events in the life of Jesus so that we can be formed as disciples. Hmm. That's great. So I wonder if you have any general suggestions for churches, really, I guess, in any context to begin to embrace more and be transformed through Holy Week and the church calendar. Okay, I would say this. Um, I, we, we have to seize expecting too much mm-hmm. from single events. There are times in our life when a single church service a single reading of Scripture, a single sermon, a single Eucharist or Lord's Supper event is transformative. Instead, we should expect less by remembering and by expecting less by just general, constant, continual participation in the church calendar. That kind of participating less brings the more that the church calendar actually will bring to us. Hmm. And so I think if all we're going to have is Good Friday, and we're going to add Good Friday to Easter, Mm -hmm. we can get a certain amount out of that. Mm -hmm. But if you celebrate Advent and Epiphany and Lent and pay attention to the church's reading of Scripture during all those periods and not just on Sundays— that when you get to Holy Week, you are fully prepared by Scripture and by what's been in your heart and mind and in your body for the last weeks, that you will be more prepared to experience the realities of Maundy Thursday, Good Friday and the the crucifixion of Jesus, the descent into hell on Saturday for Holy Saturday, and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday so that we can celebrate and announce with hallelujahs on Sunday what we have been looking forward to for more than 40 days. So that I think, I think my suggestion would be back up and start in Advent. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't, then I would say during the week, get out of church, uh, the book of common prayer, which is online, bcponline.com, or you can go to, uh, any uh, revised common lectionary, and you can see the readings that are designed for each day of Holy Week and read those mm-hmm. uh, and and learn the value of how the church has wisely brought together Old Testament readings 
with psalms, Mm -hmm. with gospel readings, and with epistolary readings. And you'll say, wow, they've brought together some really cool texts that by reading them together, we say, wow, this is bringing together the whole story of the Bible. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And I I love how you say it. Just it starts simple and not expecting too much, but to, um, to, to focus on the long-term continual drip of an impact that it can. And that's the, you know, those are the most substantial and long-term changes ultimately that happen in life. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you could, um, just, um, let me say one more thing. Sure. Yeah. uh, About that. I don't think, I think a lot of us grow up believing that we go to church to hear something new. Uh, to get something new. I think that the church tradition, that the Old Testament's wisdom of a church calendar uh, teaches us that we should go to church to be reminded of something old, to remember something old as a way of forming us for what's new in our life this in this world. Mm-hmm. So I don't go to hear a new idea. I go to be reminded of the great events in the life of Christ that brings redemption, and that is the freshness that we need to hear. Yeah, that's good. So I wonder if you could just help define a distinction um, in one of the things we've kind of um, hit on a couple of times so far in our episode, and that's the the um, distinction between high church and low church. Um, yeah. When you said that earlier, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page on yeah. what you mean by that. Uh, first, I want to say it's not a put-down. Uh, I think I think I can put down high church as much as I can put down low church. Uh, You know, it's just general language. It's not precise. You don't learn this in seminary. Uh, A high church is a church that is uh, the expression is used for churches that follow the church calendar, that use the lectionary and that tend to use uh, have Eucharist every week and tend also to have uh, pastors or priests who wear vestments. Low church is sort of uh, you come as you are, uh, you wear blue jeans, you wear a T-shirt, just a little bit of modesty because it's Sunday morning after all. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, no prayers are read. Uh, It can be pretty spontaneous. So that that's sort of the low church tradition. But it is um, a decentralization of authority in the leadership uh, into a, more of a democratic arrangement of congregationalism. Uh, that would be low church, whereas high church would have a little bit more emphasis upon the hierarchy of leadership. Okay. So it's both um, a description of style and structure, I guess we could say. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um any, you know, we, we've talked about a number of different resources so far, um, the Revised Common Lectionary, the Book of Common Prayer, any other resources that somebody may just be, um, you know, this podcast may be the first introduction for them on the the church calendar. Any suggestions yeah. on, on yeah. resources that they could go to? An introductory textbook written by a master sort of... Uh, catechist, uh, a person who knows how to teach people the basics of the faith and who organizes everything in about the same length of paragraphs and defines every term and clarifies it all, is Robert Weber, and that's W-E-B-B-E-R. He wrote a book called Ancient Future Time. 
forming spirituality through the Christian year. I think that is a great place to start. Uh, and he really, he puts it all out there so that people know what's going on. And then they can, they begin to explore the theology. They can start reading uh, other books on church calendar and liturgy and lectionary where it gets a little bit more theological and historical. Good. So I'll, just so you know, uh, listeners, I'll include all of those links to things we've mentioned so far and Robert Weber's book, Ancient Future Time, in the show notes below. So make sure if you're interested, grab that, and um, that'd be a great place to start. So I guess, got to wrap up our time together, um, two questions for you. I guess just how are you personally celebrating Holy Week this week? And uh, do you have any other closing thoughts to wrap up our time? Well, Holy Week, I guess, begins Sunday, so we will we will start with the uh, uh, triumphal entry uh, celebration at our church and uh, remembering, and then I will read the uh, lectionary throughout the week, the readings for the text, and we will celebrate Good Friday. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to go to a Monday Thursday service this time, and uh, we will participate in our church in the in Easter as well. So we will have some major events during uh, Holy Week. Good. And then, yeah, um, any my, thoughts to close it up? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I want to emphasize that uh, remembering as an embodied experience of the major events in the life of Jesus is designed, these things are designed to be formative over time if we are receptive to the central ideas of, of what these events stand for and what these events accomplished. So I believe that it is a, it's a both a body, uh, an embodied experience, as well as a spiritual openness that leads to formation in through the church calendar and through Holy Week especially. And so I, I would pray that people who listen to our podcast would have a good Holy Week, a blessed Holy Week, and enter into the great redemptive events of Christ that Christ has done for us during that week. All right. Thanks, Scott. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. Uh, if I could just echo Scott's words, we do pray the richest blessing over you as our listeners as you enter into this um, time as, of embracing Holy Week and all that Christ did. And um, we're thankful for you and encourage you, if you've not had a chance to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, um, please take a chance to do that. We've got plenty more episodes coming your way, and we look forward to being with you again as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 